episode 50, bonus edition, interview with Jennifer Gonzalez. Educators, is your passion tank running on empty? Look no further. Gretchen of Always a Lesson has a double dose of just what you need. Come fill yourself up with an empowering educators podcast to start your day feeling empowered. Hey, elite educators, I am so excited to be celebrating the big 5-0, that's right, 50 podcast episodes to date. I cannot believe we have been learning and growing that long together, but I am super excited to celebrate with a bonus edition this week. So stay tuned for a really cool podcast episode. This is Gretchen from Always a Lesson here to empower you to reach your potential. And in fact, I call you elite because only an elite educator would take time to invest in themselves by listening to a podcast like this to help hone their craft. Today is a special day because we have a guest appearance. I want to help you reignite your passion and potential by learning from another elite educator, Jennifer Gonzalez, who has one empowering message. Jennifer Gonzalez is a National Board Certified Teacher. Her 12 years of classroom experience include teaching English language arts in middle school and preparing pre-service teachers at the college level. In 2013, she started her blog, Cult of Pedagogy, where she shares effective teaching practices, curates top-notch educational resources, explores how race and culture intersect with education, and studies the effective use of technology in the classroom. She is the author of The Teacher's Guide to Tech, co-author of Hacking Education, 10 Quick Fixes for Every School, and the host of the Cult of Pedagogy podcast. So now that you know a little bit about my friend Jen, let's go ahead and dive into this interview. Well, hey, Jen, thanks so much for being a guest here on the Empowering Educators podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much, Gretchen. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, well, elite educators around the world are just really eager to hear and learn from you today. So I'm going to get right to it. Okay, that sounds great. So why don't you explain to us how our paths crossed? Okay, I think, (sighs) I know that we were in a Voxer group together, Mm -hmm. but I kind of think it might have been before that. Did we get connected through Angela? Yeah, we did. I guess it was kind of a brief intro though, and then we got to know each other better through that Voxer group. Yeah, and I know that I interviewed you for my podcast, it was almost a year ago now, and I was learning about instructional coaching and that sort of thing. So sometimes you you know somebody in so many different spheres that you forget how it started. (laughs) (laughs) That is so true. Well, since you brought up your podcast episode, why don't you fill us in on what that was like? What the episode was like? Yeah. Well, what was it about? So I was, I, I had started to hear a few years ago, people refer to themselves as instructional coaches or literacy coaches or math coaches. And I thought, what is this? Because when I was in the classroom, it's just a term that I hadn't heard. It seems like something that I had only heard recently. So um, I knew that you were a coach. And so I thought, let me find out more about this job. Because I know that a lot of teachers 
there aren't a whole lot of other job options for people who are teachers. And so that seemed to be a direction that somebody could take in their work if they wanted to try something that's still in education, but not directly working in the classroom. So I talked to you and I talked to another guy, Eric, and just to learn more about the job, how you get into it, what it's like and, and that, and you gave me tons of good information. Yeah, I think it was helpful. I, you know, I've heard a lot from people listening to your show about how, you know, hearing Eric's perspective and then hearing mine, because, you know, every school district is different how they utilize a coach. So I think what you put together was just really helpful for someone to get a sense of what is this coach thing and could this be a good fit for me? So thanks for doing the research behind that. Yeah, yeah, it was a, it, it still gets a lot of traction now, even though it's been around for a while. <laughs> well, why don't you tell us a little bit of your journey, you know, where you started and where you are now in the educational field? Okay, so I my first teaching job was as a middle school language arts teacher in Maryland in the greater D.C. area, um, and I did that for three and a half years, and I loved it. Uh, I decided to take a little time off to get my master's degree in writing. I really wanted to improve my content area. Um, then I taught for another three and a half years in Kentucky, same grade level. It's always, it's always been middle school, sixth, seventh, and eighth, um, language arts. Um, once I started to have kids, I took some time off to stay home with them. We had three kids in rapid succession. (laughs) And so I took some time off to, to stay home and just really focus all of my energy on them. And during that time, I got an offer to teach at a local university in their teacher prep program because I've got my national boards and that based on that they were hiring people to teach undergrads so I did that part-time for four years and really thought for a while that I was going to go into higher ed I really really liked working with teachers mm-hmm. um, and I was look I mean I took a I took my GRE I was looking at, at graduate programs but during that time I took some ed tech classes just to keep my teacher certification and really fell in love with what I could do in terms of I learned how to sort of start a blog and part of our assignments during in these classes were to share resources on our you know little WordPress blogs and I thought this is really fun I really like doing this and the only, my only audience was you know the 25 other people in my ed tech class right. but I thought this I think I want to do this and cuz I was looking at the academic route and one of the things I noticed was that a lot of the work, a lot of the research and publishing done by people in universities, it didn't seem to be reaching a lot of people. It seemed to be reaching people in academia only. And I thought, you know what, I think I could probably reach a lot more teachers online as opposed to spending five years getting a PhD and then publishing one or two studies and hoping somebody reads them. And I really have always wanted to bridge the gap between what's happening at the university level with research and the classroom teacher. I felt like nobody ever read the stuff that they, and I thought I'd love to take that research and crystallize it and make it simpler and easier to digest for teachers. So that's one of the things that I do. So I started my website, Cult of Pedagogy, in in the summer of 2013. And that's pretty much what I've been doing since then. It's sort of a, a cross between... And when I started, I wanted to be the Oprah of education. I love that. <laughs> I, w- I wanted to bring, you know, bring things into the light, basically. Like anybody out there that was doing something great in education, I wanted to shine a light on it. And so part of my work, I feel, is just journalism. It's just 
telling the stories of things that are happening in classrooms, in research, in tech, whatever, you know, doing book reviews, whatever. Uh, and then I also create my own classroom products. I'm, I'm building that slowly, but um, things that are for all teachers and then another sort of section that's just for people who teach language arts in secondary, you know, middle and, and high school. That is all good stuff. I'm going to back us up because I do have a couple questions based on some things you said. So what brought you from Maryland to Kentucky? Oh, marriage, basically. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, my I'm a military brat and my husband is too. So we have never been able to figure out where we wanted to stick. And we tried to live in the Northeast for a short time and the real estate was so expensive. That's where yes. I went to grad school. I went to Emerson College in Boston and my uh -huh. family's up there. And it's just, it's just crazy expensive up there. Yeah. So when we were trying to figure out where we wanted to raise a family, you know, we considered that. But he had been in Kentucky for a while. That's a long story. We went to high school together and a lot of military Aww. people ended up around here. Yeah. So he said, would you ever consider living in Kentucky? I said, no way. And, <laughs> and yet here we are now. It's, it's very affordable and it's a real easy place to live and raise a family. And um, it's just nice because cost of living, it's, it's almost, it's not really an issue. So you can kind of put your energy into other things besides just constantly earning a paycheck and sitting in traffic. And <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so you mentioned middle school. That is something that I shy away from because they are so hormonal. But what do you love about that age group? Oh gosh, I do love them. It's so it really does you have to love them to work with that age. When I'm around elementary kids, that's when I get anxious. <laughs> I get very anxious because there's just so many needs in terms of physical and attention yes. and mm -hmm. the social skills are so poor. <laughs> yeah. Um but middle school, what I love about them is that it's such a special time in their lives. They're starting to question everything. They're suddenly able to have these really deep conversations, but a lot of times they don't want to have them with their parents. That's when they're pulling away from their parents. And having an 11-year-old daughter at home right now, I'm seeing that with her too. Like She's bonding with other adults right now and her, her teachers. Like I can see how much she admires her teachers, and I can remember that as a teacher. They, the parents would come and say, she doesn't tell me anything about what's going on at school. Yeah. And they would talk to me like crazy. As an English teacher, we, they kept journals mm -hmm. for me. So I got to know them really, really well. And I just, I just think it is an awakening, that age. It's just, they're just realizing and learning so many things, and they're just open to everything. There were times when I would get like, you know, quick like substitute jobs in high schools, mm -hmm. And I realize as much as I do like high school kids also, because I think the depth of conversations just get better and better, right. they don't have that eagerness. In a middle school class, if you say, who wants to take this paper to the office, 20 hands will jump up <laughs> immediately. High school kids are like, do it yourself. Yeah, yeah, so true. <laughs> I don't want to get up. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, you also mentioned working with pre-service teachers. And so what is the difference they are transitioning from kids to adults? Oh gosh, there are definitely challenges with adults. There, there's just so much more baggage with adults, you know, from from dealing with somebody who is maybe 20, who uh, sometimes my students would have been sort of coddled throughout their lives, and their their ability to like self advocate was a little I don't know that's hard to explain. But they might have like returning adult students, non traditional students who were a little bit defensive about their ability to succeed in college at all. Maybe they, maybe they were returning to the classroom after years and years. And mm -hmm. so they were real self-conscious and 
there's just a whole lot. Plus, adults can really speak up for themselves a lot more than kids can. Right. And they know that they can. And so there's just, I don't know, but I really did like working with adults. And I really still kind of do. It's just that I feel like you have to be more, you have to be very consciously respectful of all of the experience that they bring to that interaction. And I think that's true for kids too. But the thing is with adults, there's just a whole lot more years and they may have expertise in areas that you're not even aware of. So it usually, and I'm sure you're dealing with this exact same thing. Like you, you, you have to treat everybody um, assuming that they are going to be bringing some pretty good knowledge to the conversation and just be mindful of that and very respectful. Um, I don't know that it's almost like more of a partnership with adults than just the teacher. It's just funny because everything I'm saying, I'm thinking it really should be that way with kids too. So um, I just feel like the consequences are a little bit more acute with adults. They can they can get kind of nasty sometimes if you uh, if you don't form that respectful relationship early on. Yeah, it's more about you know a connection with people and sharing your knowledge versus like the teacher hat. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So your recent um, job, I guess you could say, is this blogging and podcasting. And so I, what I kind of really interested in is why you decided to take the route you did because there's tons of bloggers out there and a lot of what they do is just share what's going on in their classroom. But you really shy away from really anything that you do personally and you're really, you know, head to the street about what's happening current in education and how can I interview someone or how can I find mm. out what it's like. So what made you, and I know you said journalism, but really want mm. to take that approach? You know, when I first started, if, if you looked at my, like my first couple of months, it was definitely more personal mm-hmm. and uh, just stuff that worked for me in the classroom. But I realized pretty quickly that if I was going to keep going with this, I was going to need to mine other areas for information. And, you know, part of it is also just experimenting. And I noticed that when I went to other teachers and and found out what was working for them, those posts were very popular and they were really well received. And I thought, okay, so that's another direction that I can go. Uh, I do try to continue to mix in, though, my own personal experiences and make sure that I stay really honest. Like, so I, I had a post a little while back called five teaching practices I'm kicking to the curb. And, and it, and it was, it was shared very, very widely by a lot of people. But one of the positive pieces of feedback that I got over and over again was the fact that for each one of those practices that I was kind of dogging in this article, I basically admitted to having used those practices myself and why I use them. Because I feel like if you're just saying to a person, no, you're doing this wrong, then they just sort of get defensive and tensed up and and you're you're backing them into a corner. But if you can validate the thinking that goes behind some of those mistakes, Mm -hmm. you get somebody who's much more open and says, look, here's why people do this. And it's, you're not horrible, but here's some information that can help you to, to do better. So I do, I do try to keep um, 
keep my own personal uh, voice in the site. So even if I'm reviewing a, a piece of ed tech or something, I try to make sure that I'm giving a really personal reaction to it because um, some of the websites, this is part of the reason why I started the site. Some, some websites that are for educators are very, they have a very corporate feel and a very faceless feel. Yeah to them. And I think that those are still really good sources of information. But I feel like teaching can be kind of a lonely practice sometimes, even though you're surrounded by kids all the time, the relationships with colleagues, um, they're so important, but they're harder to put time and energy into. And so I know that when I was in the classroom, I felt like not a lot of people felt the way I do. And I want classroom teachers to know that the things that they're feeling and the struggles they're having are completely normal. And other people have felt that way. And so I feel like that's one of the reasons why I, I try to basically mix high value uh, information with my own personal take on things. That's good. You, that's quotable. You should put that on your blog somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, you know, what's the best lesson you learned? But it sounds like you're almost evolving and seeing some teaching practices that you used to use as, you know, different now that you've done some research. And if you were to go back and teach again, you'd kind of have a different oh, yeah. approach. I would. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I feel, I said this to somebody one time on Twitter and they were like, I can't see how that's possible. But I said, I, I know so much more about teaching now than when I was in the classroom. Um, yeah, I would I would do things very differently. I, I was kind of a control freak as a teacher. I really liked a lot of structure because I found that classroom management wise, yeah. it really helped to have a lot of structure. And so I just kind of went with that as a default setting. Um, I don't know. I wasn't as structured as some teachers were. So there were some very rigid classrooms, but but I just kind of like to keep everybody in lockstep. And I feel like I've learned a lot more now about how to help kids personalize and choose. And really, here's the here's the difference I think between how I would teach now and how I used to teach. I feel like they were very dependent on me when I was in the classroom. I feel like I set the relationship, but that they still needed me for a lot of things. And I think now I would be working much more towards working myself out of a job to where anytime I could could think of, can they do this for themselves? Can they make this decision for themselves? Can they um, self-assess? Can they help me make the rules? Can they help me design the classroom? Like all of, I would try to hand over more and more to them because it only benefits them. Right. To, to see those learning opportunities. I think I was much more structured with like, we're going to learn this and we're going to do it this way and it's going to all go fine. Yeah. So yeah, I would give them a lot more choice now. Well, you're not alone in that. I, I think the same thing when as new approaches to teaching come out, different techniques, I'm thinking, oh my God, that's brilliant. And I think a lot of my mistakes, I was naive. You know, it's not that I was choosing not to do something that was best for kids. I just didn't know. I didn't think about it like that. Oh, yeah. Well, and so much more information is even out there now. I mean, when I was full-time in the classroom, uh, I mean, we had the internet, but there was no social media. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was pretty much done full-time in 2005, which now I'm also embarrassed to say because it sounds so long ago, but K-12, I was out. I, the rest of the time was in college. So, And there's been so much more information that's been put out there now through Twitter and through Facebook groups and just a lot, a lot of other bloggers that I feel like we're all learning so much faster now and, and nobody should be getting their hands slapped for doing things the old way because the old way was just a few years ago. That's so true. Oh my gosh. 
my gosh. Well, now that you have, you know, a different perspective and you're reaching people around the world. So you're also getting to learn about what's going on in other states and other countries. So what would you say now that you have that lens that's, you know, backed up quite a bit now, what makes an educator great in your eyes? I think the number one thing is the the regular systematic uh, collection of feedback on wh- on how you're doing as a teacher. So in other words, whether it's coming from an administrator or a coach observing you or you videotaping yourself or just as important as getting the feedback from the students on how's the class going for them, what's hard, what's working, what what could you be doing differently because – it almost, no matter how many new strategies you learn and try, um, unless you're finding out how those are actually going with the kids, you know, you can just keep on trying stuff. But if you're not getting feedback from students and if you're not open to it, then you're never going to get any better. And I, I feel like this profession, this job is so endlessly improvable. <laughs> There's so many different ways you can get better as a teacher that nobody's ever finished. So the only way that you can keep getting better is to is to get feedback from a lot of different sources. And I mean, I think some of the worst teachers I've known, I feel that they have been not great at their jobs because they were very closed off to feedback. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear criticism. They didn't want somebody to come in and observe them. Uh, they didn't think they needed to learn anything. And so they were pretty much done. So I think that that if you have that, so many other wonderful things will follow. And how would you change that culture of people that are close-minded but have great potential? I feel like in some ways it's up to the people who are open to feedback to continually model that. Mm -hmm. And maybe even to take somebody, like I'm thinking now of somebody who just was not a changer at all, to take that person, I could have invited them into my classroom and said, I need some feedback. I'm having a little bit of problems with this student or this aspect of my teaching. Can you can you watch a class and just tell me what you're noticing? Because seeing somebody else be open to feedback, I feel like that can really liberate somebody who's not. Yeah. To show them idea. how it's done. Well, this podcast is kind of geared towards a couple different buckets of teachers. So we've got new teachers, um, some that are in a transition or just a distressed situation, mm-hmm. and then we've got our teacher leaders. So if you had to pick one of these buckets to speak to right now, what piece of advice would you give them? Oh, gosh. Teachers in distress. <laughs> I, well, you know... I think it kind of goes along, actually, with what I was saying before, it, it, having to do with openness. Well, let me let me scroll back. Kind of the main advice I always give to new teachers is you have to find people to spend your time with who are the kinds of teachers that you want to be, mm. and and who are positive and who are who like the kids and who like the parents and who like right. the administrators in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not to say that you're not they're not going to have criticisms, but you are going to become like the people you spend your time with. Right. And so I think in a lot of ways that would apply to teachers in transition and teachers in distress also because when you need help, if you're surrounded by people who are very bitter and critical and man, you can just throw 
a rock and hit hit one in any yep. school, really. It, it takes more work to find, to really sort of discern, is this person giving me good energy? Or, or do I feel when I'm around them, do I feel more pessimistic about my job? So finding good people to spend time with, that will then lead you to oh, I found this great workshop online, or here, read this great book, or look at this thing that I tried. You'll have those conversations. I, I know when I taught, sometimes there were people who never wanted to talk about teaching. You know, we'd be sitting at lunch, and they just they didn't want to share ideas, and it was almost like they wanted to just get the whole job out of their minds. I wanted to talk about it all the time. <laughs> so, so, you know, I was able to find those people, very small handful, but I loved being around them, and I felt excited about my work when I was with them. And they helped me find solutions, and I did the same for them. Yeah, and I think it helps you kind of formulate who am I going to be in education because mm-hmm. you're learning from their experiences. They're showing you the way, and now you can kind of picture your path, you know, where you're around negative people. You're just thinking, God, this is a sinking ship. I just need to survive <laughs> versus, yes. like, let me lay down some bricks and make something of, of this Yeah. Place. Definitely. And you know, it's funny too, because you do pick up different things from different people. I just, I think observing other teachers is such an important thing to do because you don't even know you're going to pick up little mannerisms from one person and then a classroom management tip from somebody else. And you'll see something on the wall of another teacher and be like, Ooh, I want something like that. And it's just, you got to just be around other great teachers. And so I know you learn from a lot of different people, but do you have one mentor that you kind of continue to learn and grow from? You know, right now, um, <laughs> it's funny, my, our relationship has changed, but Angela Watson has really was a mentor to me um, because she and I do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she, I've learned a lot from her, but now the relationship has really evolved from just being mentor, a mentor, mentee. Um, I've basically got enough experience now that I have things to offer her also. So we just... We talk a few times a week just about different things going on with our websites. and But see, that's more of a business mentor. That's somebody who's doing the work that I'm doing now. And, and thinking about this question, I'm realizing that I could use, I need to go and look for a mentor when it comes to actual teaching. <laughs> because with that being the field that I'm concentrating on, I don't actually have anybody right now that I sort of look to for education-related guidance. And I think that would be a good thing. And so it's making me think that any teacher who can't answer that question, it's a good thing to think about. It's a good thing. It's my would make a good New Year's resolution, find a mentor, (laughs) find somebody who, and it doesn't have to be a formal relationship. It's somebody who I look up to, who has knowledge that I don't have, who is willing to give me a little guidance every once in a while. And so do you think for you it would be beneficial to have someone currently in a classroom or do you think it's someone that is, you know, still teaching but maybe it's higher ed? I I think it could be – I probably need a few. Somebody who's in a classroom but probably a teacher leader, somebody who is also working with teachers. So whether it's somebody who is, you know – teaching eh, somebody who's still active in schools in some way yeah okay 
Interesting. I'm I'm just thinking out loud because I, I am also thinking about this question. And do I have someone that's really currently in the thick of things or do I just have all these teacher leaders right. as my mentors? I'm kind of surrounding myself by myself, you know, with people like yeah. me and that's can't be beneficial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do have, I mean, and that's the thing is I do have people that I reach out to who are still in the classroom to, they'll try activities for me or I'll just, I'll just contact them and say, listen, I'm thinking about this. Does this even sound like something you're interested in or something that you would need? Um, sometimes if I have to like review an ed tech product, I'll call a friend and say, you know, you're teaching this grade level. Would this be useful? And so I can kind of get, you know, the, a regular classroom teacher's take on things. Well, that's good. So you've got this Rolodex. That's, those yeah. are your mentors. <laughs> yeah, and actually part of my site, I'm actually thinking long-term about building kind of an advisory board of people who have got mm. uh, expertise in certain areas where I can just basically reach out to them if I need uh, an opinion on something. That's great. Yeah, yeah. definitely do that. So what is your current project you're working on? Right now, I am actually working on... I'm working on growing my product line. I'm working on developing more products for the classroom. Uh, I created an argumentative writing unit that has done very well, and so I, w I want to do the same for narrative and informational writing so that it can uh, help teachers who are 6 through 12 um, work with those. And I've, I've got just some other things um, that are kind of along those same lines. And I'm getting ready to do a summer book study um, I've, you know, I've kind of got my hands in a lot of different, <laughs> different pots right now. I created a Twitter course that's out there right now to help teachers, um, learn how to use Twitter better. A lot of teachers get the Twitter account and then they don't know what to do with it yes. after that. So it kind of helps really make the most of a, of a Twitter account. So I kind of always have three or four different projects going at once. So when you're mentioning products, are you talking about teachers pay teachers? Mm-hmm. Yep. So how, what is the audience like with middle school teachers? Because I know when I'm on there, I feel like it is so many elementary folks. Do you feel yes. like it's, it's a smaller niche? It's, yeah, it is. There, there, there is a smaller, um, well, I don't think, I think middle school teachers are not used to looking for products on Teachers Pay Teachers. So, um, you know, you don't necessarily get the same group of people that are just constantly on there because there is, there's a ton of elementary stuff on there. But um, I, I've found that the best way that I can reach those people basically is to write some really good blog posts about the content that they're teaching mm -hmm. and, and sort of show them what I know and then link them to a ready-made product if they want something that's kind of just ready to go, cool. but still help them with the instruction that they're doing without them having to purchase anything. So I know you were mentioning Twitter as kind of one way to stay connected, but how do you just stay up to date on what's happening besides doing your own research? How I stay up to date? Well, first off, it's it's talking to the people who I know who are still in the classroom. My sister is a teacher. Um, I've got, you know, one of my best friends is a teacher. I, I used to be one, so I can reach out to anybody pretty much at any time and ask. Um, I also have a very, very large Feedly file of um, – do you know what Feedly is? No, tell me about that. Feedly is, uh, it's just a, it's like blog loving. It's, um, it's a feed reader, basically, mm -hmm. where you can just enter the URL of a blog or a website that you want to stay up to date with. Mm -hmm. And then, so they're all there together. So I can just, 
on a daily basis or weekly basis, I can go over there and I can see what all the newest blog posts are from all the blogs I follow. And I probably follow 30 to 40 different education blogs. Yeah. And I just keep adding to it as I find out somebody, I just throw them in there. So that helps a lot. Um, that's a full-time job just reading those blogs. <laughs> oh yeah. And that's, I mean, mostly it's skimming the titles and then it's, if I see something interesting, then I'll go and grab that. Okay. One thing that I've been meaning to do though, that I still haven't done is I want to subscribe to something called the Marshall memo. Have you heard of this? No. This is a guy who he's basically, this is his full-time job now to scour actual educational research. So this isn't blogs. This is like all the research mm-hmm. journals. And he basically just puts together this digest once a month of little summaries of all the most significant, you know, research in education. And I think it's a, maybe it's a $50 a year subscription. It's not, I don't remember it being super expensive. I just haven't gotten around to doing it. But I feel like that, there's one thing to just be looking at other people's blog posts. um, But to actually stay on top of of the research is, is a different thing. So... Well, that's, that's right up your alley. And then you could get to know him and you could do a co-blog and then you could interview him on your podcast. I see you guys being besties. It's going to work. <laughs> um, well, the next question I wanted to ask you is something that makes all the guests kind of blush, but I think it's important to just share some of our successes um, through our journey. So what would you say is your best all-star teacher moment? Oh, you know, it's funny. This actually happened just like a year ago. (laughs) Um, I'm Facebook friends with a lot of my former students and now they're like in their twenties. And I mean, and there were, there were definitely successes in the classroom, certain lessons that I taught where everybody really did well on something. Everybody aced a test that I had taught them and stuff like that. But this one really meant a lot to me. This is a girl that I know now who's probably in her mid twenties and, um, She's having a lot of struggles, a lot of personal struggles still. She was uh, a goth kid in in school and kind of did not run with all the popular kids. She kind of kept to herself. But she she wrote me a note just in a little Facebook post on something. And she said, I just want you to know that I hated middle school, but you, I always felt like you cared about me and you treated me like a person and you knew I was there. I can't remember exactly how she worded it, but it meant so much to me to know that for this kid who felt like an outcast, that the way that I was with her every day um, played some part in her getting through it. And you, that just, you didn't know at the time, right? You, she didn't give you any signals. She enjoyed the class or liked you. I mean, she she responded well to me, but I didn't know how much it actually meant. I, I knew that I was respectful to all of my students as a general rule and that I really loved my goth kids a lot. So, um, and I knew she was having trouble, but no, I didn't know that it was something that stuck with her. I mean, sometimes I'll run into former students in town and they act like I'm nobody. So, (laughs) you know, it just depends on what phase of life they're in. You know, it's funny about middle school is that you make an impression, but then a whole lot of life happens after that. So for whatever reason, this really stuck with her and it it meant a lot to have her tell me that. Yeah. That brought some tears to my eyes. (laughs) And I think most people do share the connection stories. It's not about the awesome lesson you gave. Yeah. It's about you just influencing people. That's what a teacher is. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Well, before I close this out, is there anything else you wanted to share with us today? 
Oh, gosh. Yeah, no, no, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I, I feel like um, on my site, it's just everything that I want to share, and I just keep keep going. But I guess the one thing um, would just be that uh, I really do like hearing teachers' questions and trying to answer them. And so if anybody wanted to... Um, had a personal issue going on or whatever. I've, I've been running a weekly Periscope for a little while where I'm responding to teachers' questions. So, um, and it's pretty easy to, to just jump on my site and find the contact page and just send an email and, and ask any question. But I guess also what I would want to say to teachers in general is that um, this is such a difficult job that we're doing. And it's, it's, it's really it's not meant to be easy and people don't go into it because it's easy. Um, but I just, I'm, I want to thank teachers who are sticking it out yeah. because I, I feel like you can make the most out of every day, even if nine, 92 things go wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you can, can make five things go right that day, you have, you have really made a difference. And I know that sounds so cliche that you've made a difference, but you really imagine, I'm trying to imagine what would happen if all the people who were great teachers decided to leave the classroom and, and leave it to the people who were willing to just phone it in every day. And what a, what a sad thing that would be for so many kids. So, um, it's just not meant to be an easy job. It's it's one of those things where you you just have to find those good things that you're doing every day and and be satisfied with those things because they really are mattering. That's good. Well, I do want to ask just one more question to close okay. out. So, how do you reignite your passion and your potential as an educator? I think mindfulness has a lot to do with it. I think that focusing on one student having a a good conversation with one kid or just giving that little bit of extra energy to one lesson, like actually trying to do all the steps of a lesson plan in a lesson where you you have a good reflection at the end, you have a good anticipatory set at the beginning and really being satisfied that you've you've done that good job on that day. Instead of letting yourself be constantly caught up in that rush of, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this, because if you never stop and pay attention for a minute, you you just don't ever enjoy it. It kind of reminds me of advice I got before my wedding. I had somebody tell me, you know, you have to remember to stop to eat and stop to pay attention to what's mm-hmm. happening because you'll just get caught up in this whirlwind and you'll the whole night will disappear. And I feel like it's the same thing with teaching, just plan out moments where you're just going to pay attention to what's around you. Just look. I used to look at my kids when they took tests and just look at their little faces mm-hmm. Their little zitty faces. <laughs> they were all concentrating so hard. And I just had so much love for them at those moments because everybody was actually behaving and trying. And and if you don't ever let yourself experience those moments, they will just pass, pass you by. That's good. Well, on behalf of elite educators everywhere, thank you so much for your time. Why don't you share with us how we can connect with you? I am well the probably the best thing to do is just to go straight to the website it's cultofpedagogy.com no hyphens nothing um 
And from there, there are links to my all of my social media I'm on as many of them as I can handle right now, which is I've got Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and I'm on Google Plus and my, my handle everywhere is at Cult of Pedagogy okay. um, whenever possible. So, But starting at the website, you can find all the different branches from there. Well, excellent. You heard it, guys. Start connecting with Jennifer today. Thank you so much for being a guest here and we'll keep in touch. Thank you so much, Gretchen. Bye. Wow, what a great way to celebrate 50 podcast episodes. Didn't Jen just bring an empowering message to you today? I really enjoy her approach to education. She is so humble and interested in making sure that everyone benefits and is successful. She really is selfless in her motivation in the work that she does and that is just a great person to be surrounded by. And, you know, one of my mentors is Jen, being able to see what she's digging up in education and, and what is currently happening and, and how I can really share that with the new teachers that I work with. So I really respect the work she does. And I know she has a lot going on with her own family. And as she was sharing, she does a lot of different things in her consulting work. And so to be able to hear that really her number one priority is just to help is really amazing. And I really suggest that this is someone you start to follow on social media. And even if you're not interested in every single blog post, at least stay connected to someone who is enriching the lives and really doing that thorough research and also has that positive outlook. You know, she's always encouraging others to reach out to her with questions. So please feel free that she is someone you can do that with, knowing she won't judge you, but she's really there to help. And sometimes you're a blessing to someone else because no one wants to speak up and share this pain point that they have. But she's willing to be part of the solution if you put yourself out there. So make sure you check out the show notes on today's episode at alwaysalesson.com. You'll see it under podcast episode 50, and that will give you all the details on how to connect with Jennifer. All right, Elite Educators, that is a wrap for this week's amazing special edition interview with Jennifer Gonzalez. Now go out and be great because you've just been empowered. podcast is sponsored by the Educators Podcast Network, a podcast network that encourages you to think about your profession and succeed in the world of education. Whether you're a first-year educator or a seasoned veteran, there is a podcast for you. All of the shows are produced by educators who want to shape education through meaningful discussion and content. So head on over to Edu Podcast Network. Dot com for more details.